Bite Breakfast with Asha and Nan. Brought to you by Maybank. Discussing the stories that matter. The most compelling conversations. The Light Breakfast front page. Good morning, Andrew. How are you today? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks. Well, thanks for being here. Let's get stuck into it. The National Press Club is proposing for the journalists from Sabah, Sarawak and Peninsula Malaysia to form a pact with the federal government and the Borneo state's governments. MPC President Daso Ahiruddin Atan suggests that the pact could allow journalists to play a more active role in forging an understanding and collaboration. Now, how would journalists nationwide benefit from this proposal to form a pact? Well, first and foremost, I, I should say that journalists should be independent from mm-hmm. the government. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be a watchdog uh, that not only reports what the government is doing, but monitors the government policies. So good journalists are supposed to comment on and even criticize government policies that do not benefit the public. Uh, in other words, they are supposed to be an advocate for the rakyat's interests. So I'm a bit worried when the uh, National Press Club president says that he wants to form an understanding with the Borneo and federal governments. Mm-hmm. So does the uh, Press Club president mean that the government will so-called brief journalists on what they want uh, them, the journalists, to understand what should be written? So that is cause for some worry. Right. I mean, it's, it's always good to have better understanding between uh, the journalists of West and East Malaysia. Mm-hmm. But I would say that any national pact should be done by the journalists themselves. Uh, it should be independent and not linked to the government. Minister Kari Jamaluddin said the ministry is currently conducting mm. the Orang Asli Health Survey involving 21,000 respondents in selected Orang Asli villages in eight states. He shared that the survey aims to obtain basic health data as well as a comprehensive burden of diseases in the Orang Asli community. Now, why is it important for the ministry to ensure this community's health is monitored? It's a sad story with the Orang Asli. Uh, I was just reading a report from Code Blue they are 11 times more likely to die. I mean, the children under the age of five are 11 times more likely to die compared to other Malaysians. Wow, that's a that's, huge, staggering. That's um, shocking. It's just mm. shocking. Childhood malnutrition is between 60 to 70%. Uh, it's just shocking. And this comes from uh, Dr. Amar Singh, which is with the, uh, I think, with, uh, associated with the Malaysian government. Mm-hmm. And then we have the other side, I think we have to deal with the root causes of the Orasi problem, and that is their access to land, um, which is their home. I, I mean, imagine if our homes were ripped out from us and we had to live in some kind of temporary shelter. You know, our, our health wouldn't be too good either. Yeah. So, so this Orasi who've been living for hundreds of years in the forest, uh, so their land is slowly being taken by loggers. And now there are people planting sunking durians and you know other kinds of so-called development. The Orasli activist called Colin Nicholas, he talked about the problem when you know 14 villagers in Kelantan, Gomusang, they died of a mysterious disease back in 2019. And it raised, it became a national issue. This was reported nationwide. And he was saying he had gone to this village just one year before when the forest was intact and the community was happy, you know, they are, they were healthy and, you know, half of them 
would go out to hunt in the village and collect their food and all that. And then the other half would stay in the village. But, you know, they were pretty happy. They had enough food. Uh, but once the forest was taken away and, you know, their source of food was gone, you know, they're living in this brown earth wasteland. And it's just, it was, you know, psychologically quite traumatizing for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think these are the root, the root causes. And when, when you have lost your access to your source of food, then you get malnourishment and then that comes to low resistance to disease. So I think we need to look at the, low, the root causes. And another thing mentioned by Paul Nicholas, uh, the, he was saying that uh, there's this policy of assimilating the orang asli. So the children as young as seven are taken away from the villagers and from their parents and they're put into this hostel school system to make them more mainstream Malaysian, you know. And they often face bullying in these hostels. They are cut off from their traditional culture. So it's traumatizing for the kids. And then there are also reports of physical abuse, sexual abuse. So these are all things which need to be... I hope that Kairi's task force would also investigate this school hostel system to see the root cause of or honestly not only physical health but mental health yeah mental health as we all know now uh plays a huge part in how our body sort of stays strong doesn't it absolutely uh, we're with veteran journalist andrew sia on front page today helping us go through the latest biggest news stories the government has agreed to delay the ruling that malaysians form at least 80 percent of the workforce in manufacturing companies by two years this comes with business representatives who complained about recent applications to employ foreign workers had been held back because of the ruling so the question is, what's the justification behind this 80-20 ruling being delayed when there's still a high unemployment rate uh, among Malaysians? Even when we go to the mamak shop, uh, there will be and the, some of the restaurants, the the bosses will always say, "Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have no workers. Uh, you know, you guys have to please be patient. Service will be a bit slower." And some of the shops will say, "Sorry, we've got no workers to make roti canai. Uh, you can only eat rice today." So. Uh, and then when you ask them, well, why don't you hire more? Of course, they say there's lack of foreign workers. So when you ask them, look, why don't you hire Malaysians? And, you know, I was told, well, Malaysians want to work in a hot and stuffy mamak shop. So when it comes to factories, okay, um, we have the factory people claiming that it's very hard to attract Malaysian workers to work in factories especially factories which are not air-conditioned. So this was in the report that you mentioned, and that's why the ministry is now delaying the yeah, this foreign worker 80-20 ruling. It's a long, yeah, long-standing issue which is not easy to solve. I mean, we've been talking about upskilling, you know, uh, increasing productivity of workers for a long time. This remodeling, it can't happen instantly. It involves a lot of investment in machinery and all that. So in the meantime, the factories say, look, we need the factory workers urgently. We are, we are losing billions on, in orders and we have been cancelling orders. So what do we do? Do we just bring in foreign workers as a stopgap measure? I think we need to look at Singapore as to how they made a conscious effort to go to increase their wages and to upskill their workers. 
Dasha Sri Anwar Ibrahim was officially announced as Parti Adilan Rakyat's president for the 2022-2025 session at the party's 16th National Congress after winning the post uncontested in the PKR election. Meanwhile, Rafizi Ramli was officially announced PKR deputy president after beating the party's secretary general, Dasha Sri Saifuddin Nasution Ismail, in the contest for the post. So what are the main takeaways from PKR's election results? I am uh, happy to hear of the results. Uh, it indicates a, a movement towards reform. Uh, first of all, uh, Rafizi himself won as a deputy president. And three of his allies won, three out of four of his allies won as vice presidents. And 13 out of 20 of his allies were in the central committee. So um, overall, it looks uh good for reform, rejuvenation. Uh, sorry to say, but the old guard of Anwar and his al- his close ally, Saifuddin, uh, have been looking a bit tired. Uh, they don't seem to have real new ideas to capture the voters' imagination. Uh, instead, they've been busy doing backroom deals with Amno to become the prime minister. Uh, this was recently confirmed, con- confirmed in a tell-all press conference by Ajudin, the former Prasarana boss. Uh, yeah, so PKR has been on a decline in since the Sheraton move. Um, they've lost four state elections, you know, Sabah, Sarawak, Malacca, Johor. Uh, and instead of offering a solid platform, uh, yeah, which is what Rafizi wants to do, which I think is good. You know, he's talking about saying, look, we, go, we have to offer the voters, you know, this is a solid alternative. This is why you should vote first. This is how we're going to do things better. Uh, because on the other side, they're talking, they've been busy talking about the so-called Big Ten approach, which is... Uh, Big Ten, which is saying, okay, let's call Amno in, let's call Bersatu in to strengthen ourselves. And of course, we, we have to say, ask, you know, are you strengthening yourselves or are you inviting wolves into your into your into your tent? Mm. Uh, yeah. So this is a good trend because before that we had uh, before these elections, uh, things weren't looking good. Apart from the defeats, uh, we had a very low turnout of members to vote in the elections. Just 8% of members. Can you imagine that? Oof. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. Mm. Well, thank you so much, uh, Andrew, for being with us today. You can listen to all of our front page sessions on the Light Breakfast podcast. That's on the Shock app.